This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Happy New Year. That's better. Well, I'm Mark McNelly. I am the director of outreach here and on the preaching team, and excited to share a message with you on the first morning of 2017. How many of you, when you enter into a new year, look uh, toward the end of the year and are thinking that things are going to be worse than they are right now? Raise your hand. No, but okay, well, we have some pessimists. That's okay. Or you would say realist, right? You're a realist. Most of us, when we, when we look forward at the beginning of a new year, we have optimism, right? Typically, we look forward and, and we anticipate a better year. We think that we're going to put things into place in our life that are going to help bring about a better year. I don't know if we actually are realistic or not, but we have these rose-colored glasses on typically on the first day, first week of the year. We make New Year's resolutions. I uh, had not heard about Pastor Jason's New Year's resolution. That was very bizarre. Um, Would have liked to hear some of yours that that you shared uh, in the greeting time. But I have a few. I don't know if I would call them resolutions. Um, I want to be a little bit more present in the moment, particularly with my family. I'm kind of... uh, this addiction to the technology stuff, you know, the having your head buried in devices kind of thing. I don't do the Pokemon Go thing, but, you know, I'm always like this. And so one of the things I want to do is be more present in the moment. One thing I want to do in my faith walk is I want to memorize more scripture. I did a lot of that in the first few years after becoming a Christian and then kind of fell back. In 2016, did a little more, but I want to do even more memorization of scripture. I want to get organized. I'm kind of a relational guy. I'm on the go. I'm in top, typically moving throughout my day, and I don't do a lot of just sitting down, making lists, organizing, keeping my calendar up to date. So those are some things. I don't know if you would call those resolutions or not, but just a little window into what I'm looking for in 2017 to improve my life, to have a better December 31st this year than I had yesterday. But how does that happen? Especially when you look at, most of us, I'm going to guess in the room, are faithful because you're at a worship service after staying up late. Most of us are followers of Jesus. If you're not, we're very glad that you're here today. If you're seeking, come to the Alpha Dinner Wednesday night. Uh, But if we're followers of Jesus, typically we want to do something spiritually to bring us closer to him, to make us more faithful. I mentioned memorizing scripture, but we think about our faith walk and we're like, man, I want to be closer to God a year from now than I am right now. But how does that happen? How does that happen? When we fall asleep at night, if we laid a Bible on our head, would the scriptures just by osmosis enter into our being? They wouldn't, right? You have to be awake, alert, and enter into the word of God, ready to receive it. It takes intentional effort. Well, John Wesley uh, started this whole movement that we now call Methodism. He was a methodical guy, as you could imagine. And what he did was create a process to create an intentional effort requiring process for people to live into that faith that they want, that faith that their heart knows that they were created to have. He did this through a system, and he was in the Church of England. He never officially left the Church of England, but he created this 
process of discipleship. Uh, society meetings were one of his, were the large gatherings that he would have, and he would bring people in, and he would preach, and he would want people to come to faith. And, and you, after that, he would lead them into class meetings. Those were more of a Bible study kind of environment. Uh, these are like our cl- classes and groups that we have in the church today. And then once people were fully invested in getting to know the scriptures, and they were ready to get to know one, one another, to open up their lives, to be accountable to other Christians, to make their sins known, to confess them on a regular basis, to ask for prayer and support from other Christians, he brought them into something called bands. We're starting to talk about Wesleyan bands here on campus more and more. You'll hear that term. And a band is three to five people who get together on a weekly basis, and they do what I just mentioned. They just open up their lives to each other. They watch over one another in love. Maybe a little Bible study is involved, but mostly it's a relational, accountable setting where people can be real. And you see, John Wesley understood that that is the only way we're going to break free from what I like to call nominal Christianity. Have any of you ever heard that term, nominal Christianity? Nominal means in name only. You see, in 300 years ago for Wesley, it was no different than us today. We look out across the landscape of American Christianity. We see a lot of people who attend church. We see a lot of people who profess the name of Jesus. We see a lot of people who, if you ask them, would say they were baptized, they were confirmed, right? Go down the list of religious activities, check the boxes, but their lives aren't changing. Whether they look different from non-believers or not, and many don't, their lives aren't continually changing. They aren't being formed into the image of Christ. And we like to rationalize that and say, well, nobody's perfect, you know. We're just, you know, never going to measure up. We're always going to fall short. Well, there's some truth in that. But there's also some truth that when the same Holy Spirit enters the life of a believer, the spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, the power and capacity that you have to change your life on an ongoing basis and look and look more like Jesus Christ is within you. Now, that's good news. And we're going to read a passage from the Apostle Peter Peter's writing to Christians in the first century, and he's trying to tell them, look, this is is hard, but we can do this. This is this life that you've been called to, this life that we saw Jesus live when he was here is available to us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 17, Peter writes this. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites, He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. So what is it that keeps us from exercising that self-control that Peter is talking about there, from living holy lives? God chose us, and he calls us to a Holiness, that's not a word we use a lot in our everyday language, holiness, but that essentially means to be set apart. 
from our old lives and from the lives of people who are living far from God. And when you are set apart from that, you live differently. You forgive more quickly. You judge less often. You have joy that undergirds everything that you do in your life. You have love and compassion for the hurting and the broken and the needy. This is a life that God calls us to and a life that Peter is telling first century Christians and us today that we have available to us. So I was thinking, what are some excuses that we give? What are some very common reasons that we throw out as to why we can't kind of go all in for God? Put all the chips in and say, God, I am yours. You gave it all for me. I'm going to give my entire life for you. I love that phrase that's getting popular today, that all in. So when you go all in on something, that gives you the mindset that Peter is talking about that God wants us to have. The first, I think, that we have is that first reason that we give is we don't have enough time. That for some reason, God created the heavens and the earth. He created us out of dust, and he forgot to give us more time than 24 hours in a day. What was he thinking? He had to have dropped the ball on that one, right? We think that for some reason, we need more time to do what it is that God created and called us to do. And we don't. I, I like um, Bill Hybels as a pastor from Willow Creek, and he had a, a real busy executive who came up to him one time. and was just like, man, I really want to get more involved in the church, but you know, with all my work and fam, all my obligations, I just don't have time. And Hybels said he just very succinctly said without hesitation, well, I've always found that I invest my time in the things that I give the most priority to. We don't like to think about prioritization, do we, when we think about how we spend our time. I promise you that we don't feel like scrolling through social media, vegging in front of Netflix, sitting in front of hours of video games is prioritization. Not one of us thinks that. If we did, we'd be spending a lot of money on counseling, right? But the reality is, it is exactly what we are doing. We are prioritizing whatever it is that we are doing over other things that we are not doing. We've got to come to the realization that God has given us enough time to do what he's called us to do. And that God wants us to reorient our schedules to reorient that calendar and invest it in the things that he's called us to do. In 2017, if there was a resolution that every single Christian probably needs to make, it is how we prioritize our time. I want to show you a video from, I'm going to talk a little later about the Life Change Plan, which is a discipleship plan that we started at Church at the Center, but it's, it's really kind of getting some legs. It's, it's getting campus-wide. Um, and Doug is the mentor in this video, and Shane is the participant, and I just want to show this video now before I talk more about the Life Change Plan. When the Life Change Plan was presented to us, everything that I had going on with New Beginnings, I kind of looked at the Life Change Plan and said, well, I feel like I'm doing enough already. I don't think I need this. And my good friend Jimmy signed up that night. And over the next three to four weeks, you know, I watched him and noticed, you know, a change in his attitude and just the look in his eyes and the smile on his face because he was pouring a lot of time into the life change plan. And 
I started thinking again. I'm like, maybe I don't have enough going on. Maybe I don't have the right things going on. We just talk about life. I mean, it's not it's not me lecturing him or, or you know, or we, we, we share things. And he's been very, from, from the first night, just very open and honest um, about some bad decisions and about uh, the good decisions he's making now. As he really hadn't had the same struggles throughout his life that I have, so there's two perspectives. So he, he would be teaching me as well as me teaching him, you know, coming from two different lifestyles. Reading scripture and doing journaling has taught me a form of discipline, um, a necessity in a way. Um, it helps purify my mind the more I read scripture and it's giving me things to actually apply towards my life. It's not easy and uh, it, it's a lot of work, which is hard with anything. If you're on a diet or whatever you're doing, it's it's hard to stick with it. And I think that is, a, to me, is, is just his commitment and then seeing and all of a sudden it's, you know, it's one month, it's three months, it's six months. And I think our discussions are becoming, a, you know, a, a little deeper and, and just, um, it's impressive from this side, for sure. The fellowship that we have is what I really enjoy. I've come way closer to God than I've ever been in my life through this program, through the Life Change Plan. Look out over the crowd today and I see a couple of Life Change Plan mentors. Some of you in the room who have walked with Christ for a long time, that might be a way for you to prioritize your time, is to talk to me, talk to Pastor Jason or Jake about getting into mentoring in the Life Change Plan. Shane mentioned something very interesting. I don't know if you caught it. Maybe I don't have the right things going on. Did you catch that? I've got a lot going on. So I, I really don't have time for that. But then his friend, Jimmy, signs up, and Jimmy's life is being transformed, and he thinks to himself, maybe I need to change the things I have going on. Some of us have got to see time as a commodity, as a divine commodity for us to spend to get closer to God. Some of us also are giving the reason. Uh, I've heard the reason a lot when I talk to people at the gym. That's kind of my main uh, evangelism place is I go to the gym and I strike up conversations, fascinating conversations. But another one that I hear a lot, and many of you may have used, is I've tried to follow God. I've tried the church, I've fill in the blank, and it didn't work. I tried that and it didn't work. Now this one is heartbreaking because what I know when I hear that is that somebody did invest time into attending church. They did invest time into talking to a pastor or a Christian counselor. They did grow up in the church perhaps. But the only way they can come to the conclusion that it didn't work is if they didn't go all in. If they didn't put all the chips in to say, God, you have done everything on your end of this agreement on this end of this relationship you have made the covenant and you haven't broken it my life situations changed my circumstances changed things got hard but you never told me they weren't going to and now I'm blaming you and I'm going to walk away that is a mindset that causes people to think that they became a Christian and perhaps they did we can't see into people's hearts in terms of their salvation but a practicing Christian 
when they go all in for Jesus, have committed their entire life to him no matter what, whatever comes their way. So when it comes to this effort that we're called to put in, when it comes to being holy in everything we do, the idea that we've got to put into place in our life, the idea um, from Dallas Willard that completely reshaped how I look at Christian work, Christian effort, living out the commitment that I've made to Christ, actually doing it with my lips and my legs and my hands, is this quote. Grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. You see, there's a lot of people who, since the Reformation, it was 500 years ago, but it planted a seed in the Christian mindset that we don't have to do anything to be saved, right? That's not an untrue statement. It just needs to be unpacked. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. But we have to do a lot to experience that salvation. We have to do a lot of work to work out that salvation, it says in Philippians. But we have to do it with grace-driven effort. We have to do it with a mindset that is not connected in any way to earning. We can't, when we're doing Christian work, if you sign up and you pour into somebody in the life change plan, if you do that, if you sign up for these groups and classes and you invest in them and you don't miss a single time, if you attend worship more regularly, if you improve your devotional life, if you start journaling, all of these type of things, if you do those with a mindset that you are somehow earning a better standing with the God of the universe, you will crash and burn. Your mindset has to continually be, I get to do these things. God loves me regardless of whether I do or not. How amazing is that? Nobody in the world loves me that unconditionally. Nobody ever has and nobody ever will, but God does. If God really loves me that much, then I've got to respond. But do you see how you get to the response? You get to it with a mindset of grace. Now, um, there's a, a matrix that I love that can show many of us where we are in terms of this grace-driven effort. Did you get the matrix? It was, we don't have the matrix. Okay, well, I'm going to walk you through it. On New Year's Eve, four quadrants of a matrix. Let's see if you can follow along. Hey, there it is. Okay, so here's the matrix. You've got grace in your mindset, or you've got earning in your mindset, you've got effort in your life, or you've got no effort in your life. Some of us are down here. Some of us are putting out all kinds of effort. We work, work, work. We're the religious people. We are active. People see us and say, oh my gosh, that person is on fire for Jesus. But we have an earning mindset. We feel like we are better than others. We look at others and we measure up our effort to their effort. We look down on them and we're that religious person that nobody likes. <laughs> well, I mean, we're self-righteous. We're legalistic. We're constantly looking at our performance, and we rarely talk about the things that God has done and that God is doing in our life. We typically are talking about ourselves. Now we have the earning mindset with no effort. If this is you, 
then you are defeated. You've got this mindset that it doesn't even matter what I do anyway. I always fall short. I'm not good enough. I've tried to be good enough. Yeah, I know at church they told me from vacation Bible school today that God loves me. Yeah, I know. But I'm not going to put out any effort because it doesn't matter anyway. If this is you, you're prone to isolate yourself. You're prone to hide. You're prone to just great amounts of shame and defeatism in your mindset and in your heart. And if you've been there, that's a, that's a very dark place to be. Then we keep going clockwise, and we've got no effort and grace. There is a lot of this in the American church. This is the mindset that's opposite of legalism, where you have got to have everything done the right way and religious, or you're looking down on people. This is, it doesn't matter because God forgives us anyway. God has saved us. He, he saved all my future sin too. He loves to forgive sin. I love to commit sin. This is a great relationship. We've got something good going here, me and God. This is the licentious person. Oh, well, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I go out and get trashed every Saturday night. I go to church on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter that 2,000 years of Christian history has given us a sexual ethic from God about the sanctity of marriage and sex. It's 2017. I mean, come on. Plus, God forgives anyway. This is that person. Just licentious. They really don't. People like them because they don't call out their own sin or anybody else's. So people tend to draw to these people, but they don't change anyone's life. And their life isn't changed and being transformed by the glory of God. Then you've got an effort mindset with grace. Or a grace mindset that you're putting effort to. And when this is you, you become holy holy, 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 holier in your life and less and less and less and less judgmental as you do it. That's the life of Jesus. Never committed a sin, but yet was amidst and in all around sinners, loving them unconditionally. This is a life that God calls us to, and it's a life that will not only transform your life, it'll transform others. It's fruitful. It's productive, and people absolutely want to be around this person. Because whenever they do share something that they need to have changed in their life, they know it's coming from a heart of love. You see, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, and I invite you, it's January 1st, to open up the Gospels and read them. Read them with fresh eyes. Read them as if you're reading them for the first time. Jesus does not mince words. He calls people to complete and total devotion. A guy comes up to him and says, I'll follow you, but I've got this field. I bought it. I've got a business, basically, that I need to get off the ground, and then I'll come follow you. Jesus says, anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Another says, well, let me go bury my dad. I've got to get that funeral arrangement set up, or it could have meant that I need to wait until my dad passes on and set up his estate, and then I'll follow you. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. As for you, follow me. And I could go on, but we don't have time. Continually, Jesus is saying, I need you to be all in. If you see me for who I am, if you've seen not only the things that I've done, but you've seen me hang on a cross for you, take on the sins of the entire world, including yours, 
And I'm asking you to do the same thing. I'm asking you to go all in. Now, I do that because the poker chips um, is the metaphor that the culture has kind of picked up this all-in phrase from the poker craze that started. But um, the idea is when you go all-in in, in a, a game of poker, you take the chips and you just push them all the way in. You're, everything's on the table. If you lose that hand, you're done. <laughs> but you do it because you have confidence. You have confidence that you have the winning cards. And when you go all in for Christ, you've seen him, you know him, you know he loves you, you know that he's giving you this high calling to be holy in everything you do. He's giving you the command to be obedient child of God, but you know that he's going to give you everything you need to do it. And you put all the chips in. And if you think about it, that's really the only way a relationship works, isn't it? If both parties are all in. The best example that we have for what God is calling us to in human relationships is the covenant of marriage. And some of you have been through divorce in your past. I have. And you know as well as I do. And even married couples who've never experienced divorce. If both parties are not all in, it will not work. It cannot work. It definitely cannot thrive. Now, Caitlin and I got married almost a year ago in the sanctuary. There we are walking down the steps. <laughs> Coming up on a year ago. And one thing we know after the first year of marriage, which is the hardest, and it's even harder when you're blending families, it's really, really hard. Can't wait for her to hear this part of the sermon tonight. <laughs> it's really, really hard. But what we know is that when we stood on those steps, we made a commitment to put all the chips in. This is it. I am yours. You are mine. We are committed and we're not turning back. Folks, if you have not done that in your relationship with God, then the falling short that you have in your heart, in your mind, and in your life is because you haven't put all the chips in. God is waiting. He has made the covenant. He has made the promise. He has put all of his chips in. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was him putting all the chips in for you. And he's asking you to do the same. So John Wesley, a few hundred years ago, he did this covenant uh, prayer. And it's an awesome covenant that I'm going to invite each one of you to take today. I want to read through it, and then I want to give us about 20 or 30 seconds just to kind of sit in it because it's a serious commitment. And then if you want to say it along with me, then I'm going to give us all the opportunity to say it together. All right? Cool. And this uh, covenant is on the front of your bulletin. And also, I've made some bookmarks. If you want to take a bookmark and put this in your house, you know, your, your dash of your car, refrigerator, whatever, pick one of these up. They're all over the room today. Wesley Covenant Prayer goes like this. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you, laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it, and the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. You guys could just sit for a little bit in prayer and consider making that covenant promise to God.
invite those of you that would like to make this commitment today. And if you don't, there is no shame in that. Don't make this commitment until you're ready to do it. There's no judgment. Um, but if you would like to, please say the words along with me today on the first day of 2017. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will, rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. You notice what the components are here? doesn't say anything about your talents, your gifts. doesn't say anything about what you think you can and can't do. All it's asking for is your willingness and your commitment. That's all God is asking for. He does all the rest. Just commit your life to him. Watch him transform more than your 2017. He'll transform your life and the lives of those around you. Pastor Jason.